Hey, hey, welcome back to the Know Your Numbers episode. This is your host, Chris McCormick, and today's episode, we are diving into cryptocurrency. Man, I'm excited for this conversation with Brian Nibley because, one, I am undereducated in the space and I was able to ask all my questions or some of them. I mean, the list of questions goes on and on, but Brian is also a wealth of knowledge in the industry. He's a freelance finance writer for organizations like SoFi and Insider. And uh, he just shared a, a great amount of wisdom for the beginning uh, researcher, I'll call you, on in the cryptocurrency world. Um, if you don't know a lot about crypto, Bitcoin, or these digital currencies, this is a great place to start. But uh, Brian will also be quick to recommend you do your own research outside of this episode. Um, he gives tips, tricks, resources that you can go to. And uh, I'm very excited to share this episode with you. So without further ado, here is the Know Your Numbers episode with Brian Nibley. All right. Welcome. This is the Know Your Numbers podcast. This is your host, Chris McCormick. And today I have a very special guest in the name of Brian Nibley. For those interested in the cryptocurrency, uh, the Bitcoin, the NFT world, I think he is a, a wealth of knowledge and I'm sure as heck going to learn a lot from him. So Brian, man, thank you for being here. Welcome. Um, just give us a little introduction about yourself and, and what you do. Yeah, thanks for having me, Chris. So I'm a freelance copywriter in the Bitcoin and crypto space. Got my start in late 2017 during that first big bull run and when everything finally went mainstream and things have just steadily evolved from there to the point where now I've done a handful of white papers for big Bitcoin projects. I've worked at a couple of different large conferences and I just have a steady stream of all kinds of clients from all different uh, walks of life in this space. But I first got into crypto itself in 2013, uh, thanks to a guy named Max Kaiser, who I heard on a certain radio show that I'm not going to name right now. <laughs> and yeah, he was just talking. He talks about it so enthusiastically. And the first thing that I knew was he described digital scarcity. And that was how I knew this was going to be a really big thing. And I just got into it from there. And it's been really interesting seeing how things have developed over the last, what is it, almost nine years now that I've been involved. Wow. That's awesome. And yeah, that, that's pretty early on. Um, I think I first started to hear about it like maybe 2015. I know it goes back to like 2011, maybe even earlier, but um, you, you mentioned digital scarcity. I'm, I'm curious as to what that means. I, I know a little bit about, I have some questions on, on the way Bitcoin is set up and other cryptocurrencies, but digital scarcity, that's new to me. So, so Bitcoin is the hardest money that humans have ever known. And what the term hard money doesn't mean physically hard. It means hard in terms of the supply. So the yep. supply is fixed at 21 million Bitcoin. And right. there's some controversy around, could that ever be changed? In, in theory, yes, the protocol could be changed. Mm -hmm. In practice, it's extremely 
unlikely, some would even argue impossible because the way the economic incentives are aligned, there's just no incentive for anyone to ever make that change because everyone would basically say, be saying, okay, let's all make ourselves poorer along with everyone else on the network. So basically right. it's just simple law of supply and demand when you have more dollars, euros, yen, yuan, other fiat currencies constantly being created ad infinitum all the time, all over the world, chasing fewer and fewer Bitcoin, mm -hmm. then just supply and demand, the price of one will go up, the price of another will fall in terms of relative purchasing power. And so yep. what you see really is not so much the price of Bitcoin rising. You could argue mm -hmm. that it's really just the purchasing power of fiat currencies declining and pretty much all other assets collapsing against Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And, and that's also that's that's real quick, real quick. The, yeah. the mining also plays into digital scarcity where every four years there's a halving. And so the supply is deflationary and the oncoming supply is always decreasing. Okay. Wow. And yeah, that's how I've heard it referred to as is deflationary and that really struck me I because, again, this is all pretty new to me. While I heard about it a couple of years back, I, I really haven't looked into it until now. And I'm happy that we're having this conversation because you're the first person I can actually have one on one expert advice. If, if I if you're OK with me calling you an expert, I think it's it's reasonable. <laughs> um, but I'm curious because when I've heard them refer to it as deflationary and you talk about the scarcity, a lot of times there's that comparison to gold and i don't know if you have any thoughts on that what i've heard is that some people think gold is more valuable because gold can always be used to create something else whereas bitcoin is kind of just out there as this this coin this technological resource so i'm, I'm really curious as to what you would say about that and how you can enlighten us yeah, this is a really difficult topic. Yeah. And of course, you refer to me as an expert and then bring up something that I would be slightly less expert on. Kind of funny. But yeah. <laughs> it's a really complicated thing because gold, <clears throat> gold also has industrial uses, which makes it a sort of unique case where there are people uh, like Max Kaiser and Michael Saylor, for example, who argue that Bitcoin is actually better money because it has no specific use case. Its only use case is, is the monetary one, is... Mm -hmm digital gold, a store of value, a medium of exchange, and potentially at some point a unit of account. So, you know, I have nothing against gold. I'm not one of those people that goes all in one or the other and yeah. says that we all have to use this thing and everything else is trash. But I think as time goes on, there is a more compelling case to be made for the fact that Bitcoin is just becoming a better store of value and it's mm -hmm. it's definitely a better medium of exchange. So it's sort of like digital gold 2.0, because here's the yep. thing. If you want to transport a lot of money through space, especially mm -hmm. across international borders, say it's a million dollars worth, you're going to have a very difficult time doing that with gold. You're going to carry a duffel bag full of guard, <laughs> gold bars through the airport. You know, good luck right. with that. Yep. Whereas with Bitcoin, you can have either a small little a thumb drive size device called a hardware wallet. You can take that through pretty easily, or you don't even need that. You can have a 12 or 24 word uh, backup seed phrase yeah. just memorized, and you can then get a wallet at your destination and restore your private keys that way. So there's a transportability issue. There's just the spending issue. I mean, gold isn't really used as a medium of exchange anywhere right. in today's world. You know, you can 
use gold as an investment as a store of value. Sure, it hasn't performed that great over the last 10 years or so. Uh, on a longer time frame, it has more or less kept up with in inflation. Yep. But you can you can use Bitcoin to buy an increasing number of things today, a yeah. wide yeah. variety of virtual services and products accept Bitcoin as direct payment. Uh, mm -hmm. You can actually buy gold and silver with Bitcoin, funny enough, on <laughs> sites like JM Bullion, other bullion dealers accept Bitcoin, usually at a, a slight discount to other payment methods also. Wow. Wow. And so, yeah, I mean, you can't you can't grind up some gold into dust <laughs> and blow it through fiber optic cables and send it to the other side of the world in, you know, a, a matter of seconds. Right. And there's also the divisibility component where if you do want to exchange gold with somebody for products or services or anything, then you you need to like cut it up in, in a mm -hmm. forge or something and weigh it out. And so there's there's a lot of conveniences that make Bitcoin better in that sense. And also the fact that we don't know for sure how much gold is in the Earth's surface. We assume, right. I mean, it is scarce. It's definitely uh, the scarcest uh, element that yep. we know of, not number one scarcest, but among the precious metals, among the rare earth elements, it's it's very scarce. Yep. But we're not perfectly clear on how much is above ground or below ground. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little murkier in that regard in terms of the scarcity. But with Bitcoin, we know there's only 21 million and only ever going to be. You know, we're not going to find, yep. we can find an asteroid full of platinum and gold and everything else. And it some point 50 years from now we could have the technology to mine that mm -hmm. making all those metals a lot a lot less scarce but we're not going to find we're not going to discover more bitcoin wow yeah do you know how much bitcoin is out there right now is it is there like a running total or is it kind of yeah it's, i'm pretty sure it just hit uh 19 million total that wow. have been mined so there's okay. only two million left to ever be mined <laughs> but because um, because the difficulty is always increasing as more miners join the network and yeah. because the supply decreases every four years, the, the block reward, then it's estimated that it'll be another 118 years or so. So about 2140, but wow. before the last Bitcoin is actually finally mined. Oh, okay. So wait, um, and I don't want to get too far into it, but like, how does that work? So there's 19 million already in currency but they're saying that to get the last two million it might it's going to take another 140 years or whatever how i'm trying to wrap my head around that and it's not really so, work. yes sure sure so mm -hmm. when the network first launched in 2009 yeah the block reward was 50 bitcoin so every 10 minutes a new block gets generated a block is just uh, a group of transactions that gets added to the chain, creating yep. what's known as the Bitcoin blockchain. And so that every four years that gets reduced by 50%. So then in 20, it was a little less than four years the first time, 2012 went to 25 Bitcoin, mm -hmm. uh, 2016 went to 12.5, then in okay. 2020 went to 6.25. Mm -hmm. And in 2024, it'll be 50% of that and, and so on. So that's just how the math works yeah. the block board is reducing so uh so quickly you know it's an exponential growth right. or exponential reduction in growth. Uh, yeah. I okay i got gotcha. you wow that's cool and so when 
Mm, there's so many directions that I can go here or that we can go here. And I, I do want to continue to get my grasp on it. Um, and I think you have a knowledge outside of Bitcoin as well. Like it's cryptocurrency as a whole that you're specializing in. So I'm, my curiosity is why are so many people, one, attracted to Bitcoin, obviously, because it's deflationary, it's scarce. But then Ethereum is another one you hear. How do the two of those compare? And then what about these smaller ones uh, that some people are familiar with, but not too many? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So there's a couple things there. I know the way uh, Tone Vase put it, who's a big, another big voice in the Bitcoin community. He's been around since very early days, earlier than myself, for sure. Okay. He hosts, by the way, he hosts the unconfiscatable uh, Bitcoin conference in, in Vegas. They had it in 2020. I was there. They're okay. doing it again in March of this year. I'm probably going to be there again right. and I highly recommend. And the way he put it was that you can only have one digital scarcity, right? If you have multiple things that call themselves digital scarcity, then it's not really scarcity because yeah. anyone, and you hear this as an argument against Bitcoin in general, people say, well, anybody can create their own coin. Yeah. So what, what's the point of it all? And that's true, but no one can create uh, another Bitcoin and mm -hmm. The way that Saifuddin Amus puts it, he wrote a book called The Bitcoin Standard, which I also highly recommend. Okay. Uh, he said at that unconfiscatable conference in 2020, actually, he said that Bitcoin is the only blockchain to have survived in the wild. So it started all by itself, no big marketing team, and it just sort of grows, grew slowly, silently at first and steadily. Uh, grew organically in the wild to, to where it is today. There's no centralized marketing team. There's no... Uh, it's the only de fully decentralized network, basically, mm -hmm. whereas all these other tokens, 100% of them all have, they're much more highly centralized because they have central teams behind them that can make decisions affecting the network, even though they would likely claim that that's uh, not the case, right. whereas, and, and they're all trying to do something that they claim the Bitcoin network cannot, which mm -hmm. Today, it may be true that some of these coins, like Ethereum has smart contracts, for example, and there's a whole bunch of competitors popping up, Solana, Binance Smart Chain, Tron, Cardano, and the list goes on. Mm -hmm. They're all trying to do what Ethereum does, but do it better. So yeah. maybe it's just a matter of time till other networks come along and try to do what these other ones are doing, but do it better. Yeah. So yeah, Bitcoin actually just did up go through an update not too long ago called Taproot, which will bring in the capability for smart contracts, which is what uh, what makes Ethereum what it is and leads to the capability for all these decentralized applications and DeFi or decentralized finance, uh, NFTs, all that stuff. Most of them are hosted on the Ethereum network today. Okay. And, but there will come a point at which people start building smart contracts on Bitcoin because it's the most secure base layer. You have a hash rate of, I haven't checked it recently, but it's well north of a hundred quintillion hashes per second, which basically means you would need more computing power than exists on the entire planet in order to attack that network. Whereas for smaller networks, especially those that don't utilize the proof of work consensus mechanism, uh, it's a lot easier to attack those. And there, there's a handful of historical examples I could go into that yeah. have proven that case, but I won't go there. That's a kind of a more complex topic. Yeah, that seems, <laughs> wow. That seems, I mean, that's the thing is this, this is a conversation that has so many different rabbit holes, I'll, I'll call them. And, and there is a lot to it, which is why I think 
so many people are attracted to it, but also so many people are, are scared of it. And it's hard to be in a position where you know so much about it if you haven't spent a lot of time researching it. So I'm um, Brian, again, I'll, I'll just thank you for, for being here because this, this helps me and then I'm sure it's going to help a lot of listeners. Um, staying on the topic of all these different opportunities, I'll call them options. Um, you kind of, you kind of touched upon how Bitcoin is different, but then you you see like a Bitcoin aside, the smaller scale stuff like Ethereum. You mentioned Cardano. I mean, Dogecoin is always talked about, but I'm also like NFTs too. I don't I don't really know much about it, but like it seems like it's all kind of under the same boat. So how can somebody who's looking to get into the space try to differentiate between all of them and know make a a calculated decision on the one that is the most valuable one and the most that fits their needs too. Yeah, that's a difficult question. Yeah. I mean, I would say if you want to take the least risk possible, you probably just want to stick to Bitcoin because it's the mm -hmm. safest bet for the reasons I've mentioned and more. But, you know, these other things can be a great speculation potentially. You can yeah. also get get wrecked as they say because yeah. a lot of them wind up seeing their values collapse by 90 to 99 percent and never to recover uh, nfts are an interesting proposition i mean there's a great promise there i did a lot of research and work back in 2017 2018 about the possibility of all these things that are actually coming to fruition now mm -hmm. like like DeFi nfts and everything related to that and uh, you know, CryptoKitties was the first actually NFT uh, and sort of DeFi-like game that happened. That was in 2017. CryptoPunks were actually created before CryptoKitties in early 2017, but nobody really knew about it. Whereas CryptoKitties became this this big thing. It was just this game where people could get a digital cat and they could breed them together and they have different features and and all this stuff. Yeah, but the thing with the nfts is i the idea is that you can have this piece of digital artwork or music or whatever and you'll have some ownership to it because mm -hmm. it's unique it's got the it's this erc721 token standard which mm -hmm. means there can only be one of this exact token and so it's thought then that if you own that you have ownership to that basically and yeah. no one no one else can claim ownership but in reality if you just just do a search for how to steal nfts mm -hmm. and there's an article i just came across funny enough i just have been writing about this recently and and the article is it's a 10 minute read but one of the top results but i'll, I'll save you that 10 minutes and yeah. say <laughs> basically just take a screenshot or or right click and save image as and yeah now you've basically stolen the nft unless someone had a watermark placed a watermark on it to mm -hmm. to claim it and you know you could so you could take that screenshot and put it on an nft market place and sell it as something original even though it's not yeah and it, people could figure out that it's it's not the same thing and this other someone else could, out there who owns the original could come out and say hey look i own the original i can prove it I've got the blockchain identifier right here. This is the real thing. But it doesn't, people argue that it doesn't really mean that much because there's no copyright law involved. There's no transfer of ownership. So, but then again, some people argue that 
the market that's a more honest market than stock markets because yeah. it's just buyers and sellers meeting or organically with no sort of barriers and yeah. uh, it's you know there's a frenzy going on there like like any market it's subjective and just mm-hmm. what people are willing to pay for something is there so yeah. I, I don't know it, it's an interesting topic and it, it's very promising in some mm-hmm. sense but there's also a lot of issues you could raise with it right yeah. now too thank you that that helps quite a bit and um yeah i would like to go into like the education part of it for somebody that that is looking to seek knowledge obviously you are a good resource to to go to i, I checked up on a couple of your articles and um they do offer there are some topics that i i do want to talk about um but on a broad spectrum what are some of the best resources you mentioned a book i'd love to to hear a little bit more about that but some of the resources for like a beginning investor somebody who understands markets but might not understand the crypto market just yet like where where should we turn yeah sure i'd say the satoshi white paper is a great place to start i think it's about nine page pages you can just search for that. You'll find it pretty easily. Uh, Satoshi Nakamoto is the pseudonymous author. Right, and okay. uh, the FAQ on Bitcoin.org has a lot of good resources. There's a bunch of stuff there uh, that answers a lot of the common questions like, mm-hmm. is Bitcoin a Ponzi scheme? Uh, <laughs> what happens when quantum computers get reached a certain level that could crack the SHA-256 encryption algorithm? And so basic things to more advanced complex yeah. things it's all there and i would recommend read the bitcoin standard most definitely okay uh, the first seven chapters are actually not about bitcoin much they're just about the history of money and what mm-hmm. different cultures have used as money throughout time and throughout the world yeah and those three would be a good starting point from there you can go as deep down whatever rabbit hole you like i know michael saylor ceo of microstrategy has said that uh, you should plan on doing about a hundred hours of research before you are are at a place where you can think and speak about the stuff competently and when you can be confident in investing and, and all that. Yeah. Well, that's good. And, and that's something that I want to, again, acknowledge you for, because it's clear that you've done the research and you have put in the hours. And for somebody that, that can go on Instagram or, or social media right now and find 5 million people talking about this stuff, without the facts to back it up. It's nice to, to have a resource that will say it how it is and, and what he's learned. So thank you, Brian. Um, I, so we talked about the comparison to gold and you might be, you might know this, but one of the resources that I've heard recently was a podcast with Peter Schiff. Um, and he is very vocal about the, the, everything wrong with Bitcoin, for lack of a better explanation. He is, he's all gold all the time, foreign markets and cryptocurrency stands no, um, it's not real, I guess, is for, for, for a way to put it. Um, is there any argument to that? Like for me, I, before I listened to that, I understood, like you kind of talked about the, um, the importance of understanding money. Like if you understand how a market works, it, kind of makes sense why people are getting into it. Um, I guess to put a bow on this question would be like, for all the arguments against Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, are any of them actually viable? Is there any reason this shouldn't last? Obviously, it is a speculative investment, but like it 
has stood a decade now. It, it seems to be going a, for the future, but any reason we should not be looking to Bitcoin? So each day that goes by and the network su survives and nothing catastrophic happens, it's hard not to have more and more conviction and more confidence uh, in the promise of the tech. I mean, one of the big things that people always said was going to be a terrible issue was the fact that the majority of hash rate was housed in a single jurisdiction, which was China. But last year, we saw that China banned Bitcoin mining and... Uh -huh. Nothing really happened. The hash rate dropped by like 50% for a while. But over time, as miners moved to different countries, they set up operations. And just recently, the hash rate hit a new record high. So if the network can survive that with, it was just barely a blip on the radar, mm -hmm. then you have to think it's, it's pretty resilient. And there are some, one of the things that bugs me about this whole conversation and individuals who just trash the technology without really having a good grasp of it is that the the few legitimate threats and things that could pose a risk to bitcoin are things that you almost never really hear uh, being discussed because yeah. you have a lot of these extremes of the spectrum where there's people who just trash in any way possible and they start to kind of lose their minds sometimes and then people who are just so euphoric on how how great it all is and and the, the promise there and so the the threats that concern me that i think about what could possibly bring down the entire bitcoin network and all other crypto with it are things that are long shots but yeah. the probability is not zero so something like a global say cyber pandemic where yeah. there's a kind of self-replicating worm that infects billions of devices worldwide how would the network respond to that kind of thing and if there was some kind of uh, digital lockdown where portions of the internet had to be shut down for a time sort of like what we saw with the economy and right. the, the pandemic over the last few years if something like that were to happen how would the network survive and cope with that or Quantum computers, sometimes people say it could be a threat, which as far as we know right now, that's not really the case. You need yeah. you would need something about 100 times more powerful approximately than the quantum computers we know exist. Mm -hmm. But what if someone's working on that right now as we speak? What if they have it underground and they've just kept it under wraps and all of a sudden they come out one day and, and, and break the encryption like that? Yeah. Those are really a few of, or maybe some kind of like, large electromagnetic pulse or solar flare these things that are very small these are like taken together probably less than one yeah. percent chance of any one of them actually happening right. but the potential is there and we don't know there are some solutions being worked on like blockstream has uh satellites orbiting the earth that are mm -hmm. trying to house uh, entire copies of the blockchain so that if anything catastrophic did happen they could just we can just build, have a full node on earth and just download that whole thing and start the network up again from where it stopped. So even then, I mean, if that works, then you have to think Bitcoin's basically bulletproof and there's, yeah. there's nothing that could, could stop it. There's then the regulation issue of what if governments crack down and just say, uh, you can't do it. You can't use Bitcoin. You can't mine Bitcoin. The only, in my mind, the only way that ever becomes a legitimate threat is if there was a government that controlled every jurisdiction on earth directly 
and from the top down said that, okay, everything Bitcoin is illegal and you're serving a hefty prison sentence if you even touch it. But short of that, there's really no way for governments to ban Bitcoin. I mean, we've seen India try to ban it multiple times, never worked. Sometimes when countries try to ban it, it just makes it more popular and usually yeah. actually goes up because you can't, yeah. it's a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer network. You can't stop people uh, from doing this. And Satoshi actually mentioned this in some of his posts around uh, 20, 2009, 2010 on the Bitcoin talk forum. He mentioned that a centralized network like Napster, the music sharing platform, mm -hmm. get those get taken down pretty easily by the government. Whereas decentralized things like the, the Tor browser, the Onion Router uh, anonymous browser, mm -hmm. uh, those tend to be a lot more resilient because there's, there's no single attack vector. You can't just attack this one server, this one node and bring down the entire network. To bring down all of Bitcoin, you would have to, it would have to be something totally catastrophic on a global scale. And you would have to attack so many millions of, of nodes and miners, which are just a special type of node that have the ability to add blocks to the chain. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the bottom line is these are very faint possibilities. They are yeah. real, and I don't believe they get as much attention as they yeah. deserve, right. but these are kind of far-fetched and for the time being there's not really legitimate threat there and as time goes on it's like i said it's it's just really hard not to have more and more conviction and mm -hmm. even if you don't fully believe everything that i'm saying and pointing to right then where else are you going to go what are you going to do in terms of asset allocation i mean if you listen to people like the person you mentioned earlier <laughs> then then you missed out on a lot of money and you haven't done so well yeah. and you that might cause you funny enough that might cause you to double down on your position and just live in denial forever and kind of go crazy and just not listen to to anything or anyone and keep go, keep going sort of digging yourself deeper into a hole so yeah. that's kind of what i see happening there that's good. And that's that's what's dangerous, man, because like I I'm like I said, I'm not overeducated in this sphere. And I that was one of the first things I heard about it. I mean, I've heard, obviously, Bitcoin, I have an idea, but like that was one of the first in-depth conversations I I had picked up. And it was like, sorry to hear why, that. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's why it's going to fail. So it's like if, if somebody just stops there or continues to follow that man, then, um, yeah, it could be. I mean, they are missing out quite exactly. frankly, obviously. Um, I don't have any affiliation with Bitcoin yet, but like obviously after this conversation, I'm I'm looking to, to grow my knowledge because I do, I mean, it is the craze. And if you aren't at least going in with a, a questionable mind, then um, you're going to miss out one way or the other. Um, it's good. It's, there was something else. I mean, I could... I could go into I I'm I one of the things that I, I picked up on in, in your pieces, Ryan, was um, the possibility of blockchain not being or in, being introduced into other industries outside of finance. I think you mentioned like hospitals and, and supply chain. I'm curious if you could uh, explain a little bit about that uh, for the beginner, like one, what does it take for something to be a blockchain and what is the benefit of using it for not only finance, but other pieces of our economy? 
Yeah, so I'm not going to be able to go into too much detail there because that okay. was probably something I wrote a number of years ago before okay. I fully understood the implications of all this and how blockchain doesn't really solve all the problems that it claims to or it mm -hmm. it could in theory but in practice it becomes very inefficient because it's so much more difficult to try and create and use and maintain a decentralized blockchain than it is to just have some kind of centralized solution and on top of that it things almost never really start off and and remain decentralized to date bitcoin is the only blockchain that has started and stayed decentralized so really the potentials for blockchain to do some of what it promises are quite dystopian rather you could imagine something like a, a permissioned closed blockchain where people had to obtain permission from some centralized authority to make any type of financial transaction for example like say there's a central bank digital currency the only accepted currency and if you don't meet certain criteria you don't have high enough social credit score you haven't undergone whatever procedures are mandated then you aren't allowed to use uh this kind of this monetary system you're, you're denied access so uh, it, it, years ago that was more the direction looked like things were going everyone thought there was this huge promise for blockchain to be used in things like supply chains, for example. Yeah. And, uh, but now, now the conversation has shifted a lot more to, okay, how do we prevent these more terrible things uh, from manifesting? I would say the solution is just to use Bitcoin, but <laughs> yeah, the, um, it, it doesn't really work that well. I can't, okay. I, I, it doesn't even come to the top of my mind okay. how that's an, another really complicated uh, topic, but basically the bottom line is just these things don't remain decentralized and they don't do what they promise to do, at least not nearly as effectively and efficiently. And yeah, I would say, I would say refer to the Bitcoin standard again, because he does a very good job of explaining all that. Awesome. Yeah. And that's something that I'm looking to and, and will uh, go towards right after we're done and, and start to pick up on, get my hundred hour in, hours in, as you say. Um, it's good you didn't go too far into that because I did have a question pop into my mind um, as you were talking. It's It seems like a lot of the events that you are worried about as somebody that's educated in the space, and I'm sure many other of the, the people that are knowledgeable about it are, are kind of those black swan events that, that people consider, um, which I think for the listener out there, if you are, if your decision not to go into something is because of that, that's like not walking outside because of the threat of a tornado or some kind of natural disaster that is out of the right. realm of reasonable possibilities. So I think that's a good way of looking at it. And I also think it's interesting to think that there's two sides and, and that's how things operate in today's world is like, it's either one side or the other, but when you look in, there's a lot of moving parts, but it makes sense. It makes intuitive sense. And, if you come in with an open mind, then you can solve a lot of the, the problems and questions. And now I will say that to get to the question would be, Brian, a lot of the a lot of the worries that some people think of have to do with with human interaction with it, like a, a government, an authoritarian government taking over and and making decisions that benefit them. But one thing that I did hear about 
the reason not to invest in Bitcoin is because the majority of holders of Bitcoin are beginning investors who have made, who have a great amount of capital. So they're telling a lot of people buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, buy Bitcoin, so they can then remove their assets uh, in a way. I don't know if you have, I don't know if you can speak on, on that, but that was something like that does kind of encompass the human part of making mistakes. Sure. So that goes back to kind of the the Ponzi scheme allegation, which again, right. you can go to the FAQ on Bitcoin.org to find out why uh, that doesn't quite add up. But first of all, you can see the blockchain is public, so everyone can see what wallet addresses hold whatever amount of coins and verify whether or not uh, this is actually true. Uh, where where I, I've never quite heard the argument stated just the way you did before. But what I have heard is that Satoshi, for example, Bitcoin's creator has a wallet out there with like a million Bitcoins or something. Right. They would be yeah. worth many billions today, tens of billions, hundreds of billions. Mm-hmm. I, and if he would just, but even now with the market cap of Bitcoin around 1 trillion, even if he did somehow dump all of those on the open market, yeah, it would create a crash, but things would recover afterward. Yeah. And here's the other thing is that it goes back to the digital scarcity and the supply and demand thing that I mentioned closer to the beginning of our conversation here is that the people who hold Bitcoin, even if they didn't know this in the beginning, they're quickly learning, especially over the last couple of years with central banks putting the money printers into hyperdrive. They're <laughs> learning that it doesn't really make sense to just cash out 100% of your scarce hard money for easy money because that fiat currency is losing purchasing power all the time at a real an official rate of what six point something percent a year at a real rate of more like 15 percent if you factor in things like food housing healthcare, and and other things that are rising in price so it's possible i guess that people are out there that hold a lot of coins conspiring to uh, drive the price up and dump mm-hmm. it. Certainly there is manipulation in this market and in all financial markets, yeah. often driven by uh, the futures markets. But you look at something like gold, for example, uh, gold is now verifiably the most manipulated market <laughs> in the world. In 2020, I think it was the third or fourth quarter, JP Morgan Chase was was caught and fined by the SEC and other regulators for manipulating the COMEX market, gold and silver futures, they were spoofing, which is illegal, which is a practice of take creating a whole bunch of fake sell or buy orders. In this case, it was sell orders mm-hmm. and putting them in the order books. And they look as if they're real orders. So people can see that and think, oh no, this big sell wall is coming out. The price is going to tank. I better sell now. And, but then at the last moment, they would actually pull those orders off, they never had the intention of executing them. And so it's just pure manipulation of the market. And they got caught doing that. They paid a fine of, I think it was 900 billion or 900 million, something like that. And it was one of the biggest cases in history. Didn't get a whole lot of media coverage, seriously. (laughs) And, but they get to continue doing that. No one went to jail. These companies still do whatever they're doing. They fire yeah. one or two people and say, oh, it was just those traders. We didn't know what they were doing. And they go right back to doing the same thing. And 
it's just unbelievable. And they yeah. keep Max Kaiser says that they the fraud is the business model and they keep 90 cents of every dollar that they make through fraud and they pay wow. a 10% fine to regulators. And so it looks like regulators are doing something to stop that, but really they're not because with interest rates at 0%, you can just borrow money and do whatever you want with it if it's fraud or otherwise. And yeah. there's no there's no cost to it. There's there's no incentive not to commit uh, fraud in that system. So I know I've kind of veered away from oh. the subject there, but the, the point I'm getting at is what about the existing financial system? Right. We, ne- we tend to not look at the risks of fiat currency going to zero, but everyone mm-hmm. talks about the potential of Bitcoin going to zero. <laughs> we look at the corruption and manipulation in financial markets, existing yep. financial markets so much, but that are worth, you know, trillions and trillions of dollars whereas sometimes people focus on manipulation in bitcoin market that that's mm-hmm. one so that that's what i would say to that and no that's awesome man and i'm i'm so happy you brought that up because i think that's something that that everybody needs to consider is that we do take a lot for granted and just because we we consider it normal doesn't mean that it's the right way of doing it or the only way of doing it or the most the most um resourceful way of doing it i guess um so and i think that the past three years is kind of a uh magnifying glass on that too and and um it does take people like you brian to kind of show us exactly what it is to be willing to go out there and, and take the risk of you know back in 2013 not knowing exactly what it was but saying no this is something that that might be promising and i should look into it and and look where you are at in 2022 it's pretty impressive and uh i think it's awesome and and i i look up to that so um i will i i will close this um we do ask a question to all our guests and uh we'll get to that soon but um for anybody that wants to reach out to you uh if you're willing to to share and and provide insights to any of our listeners what's the best way to contact you or help you uh in any way you can find me on LinkedIn or just search my name and find uh, some biography there on some financial site. And it probably links to my website and my LinkedIn. That'd probably be the simplest way. Yeah, no. And that's how that's how I found him. I, I got uh, got a hold of him. I, I really appreciate you sharing your time with us, uh, Brian. And I will link any of the the information that you provided in terms of just good resources into the show notes here. but. Uh, before we close, Brian, the last question that I ask all the guests is, what is one truth about money that most people regard as a myth? That's a tough question. I would say that money needs to be scarce. This goes back to what we've been talking to. I don't know if people, if that qualifies as people thinking it's a myth or just thinking that it's a a non-issue but i would say that to be to serve at three qualifications of money are store of value medium of exchange unit of account in order to fulfill all of those i would argue that money has to be scarce it can't be something that can just be created Mm -hmm. infinitely uh out of thin air with no objective anchor and no supply limit 
Dude, that's so good. And and I think that's a, a great way to close, especially in these times where we see it getting printed now more than ever. So uh, again, guys, thank you for listening. This has been Brian Nibley on the Know Your Numbers podcast. Brian, I, I can't say it enough. Thank you. I know I'll be reaching out after this because uh, I do have a lot of questions. I might even try to, to find my way out to Vegas in March for that, that conference that you were talking out so we can talk offline about that. But uh, thank you, man. I appreciate you and, and look forward to connecting again soon. Definitely. Thanks, Chris. So there you have it. Uh, cryptocurrency in a 40 minute um, brain dump, I'll say. But uh, I trust that you guys got as much value as I did out of that, that episode. Be sure to connect with Brian. Uh, I connected with him through LinkedIn. Great place. Uh, and he's just, um, man, it was awesome running that episode and getting to know him and uh, the crypto space a little bit more. Um, if you have any more other any other questions on cryptocurrency, I have linked some resources in the show notes. And uh, Brian mentions a conference that he's going to coming up here in March. That is also linked in the show notes. If you're looking to get to Vegas, uh, go ahead and book your ticket. Uh, in the meantime, if you have any tax, finance, investing questions, be sure to reach out to the team at Better Books. We'll get you the resources you need to save more money and grow your financial standing. Uh, I appreciate you all tuning in. Be sure to give us a like, rating, and review, and subscribe to us on all platforms. Have a blessed week, and keep moving forward.